Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church. I'm very glad you're with us. To everybody here in the West and those who are worshiping with us in the East and online and at Lovington and places all around, thanks for being with us here today. Let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. It's my privilege to be part of the pastoral team, and I count it a privilege to um, be with you here today. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1 in the New Testament, probably three quarters of the way through the Bible. We'll be reading there from there in just a moment or two. Before we get to that, though, um, if you're a guest with us today, I'd like to um, say welcome to a great moment in the life of our church. This is a great day to be here because you're going to learn about our church's commitment to Christ's cause locally and around the world. You're going to learn about what's important to us and um, who we are. I must admit, though, you're going to feel like you've just stepped into a family's living room discussion. You need to know that up front, that you're going to go, man, I'm going to learn about the details of the family that I didn't know I was going to learn. Yeah, that's fine. You are, um, because this is our annual State of the Church weekend. We evaluate and learn about what happened in the year previously, and then once a year we do this, and then we also look forward to what's coming in the coming year. And so... Today, that's what you've stepped into. Welcome to this uh, weekend and what we'll learn together. I want to start our time, though, together with some scripture. Each week, each year as this rolls around, people can get to the facts and figures, and I want to go, well, not really. It's important to start with scripture today, particularly this day, because this State of the Church weekend is different than what we've ever had before that I'm aware of. And I suspect some of you would have got a letter from me this week in UK. Say, man, there's an elephant in the room, Wayne. You got to deal. With, I will deal with the letter you got from me this week, by all means. But let's let's start with Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse um, verse three, because uh, it echoes really what I feel deep within me about you, and hopefully what you feel about me and our partnership together. Paul the apostle is writing to the church at Philippi. He had founded this church some years previously. He'd been in prison there, and an earthquake had come. He'd been freed from the, from the um, prisoners in Acts chapter 16. And now he's moved on, and he's founding another church elsewhere. And he's thinking back to his time, and he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. As I'm, as I'm praying for you, I've got this sense of, man, things are good. He says, that we've had this partnership in the gospel from the first day, the first time we met, until now. I'm confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So basically saying, yeah, we, we did a lot of life together, and since then, since that first day, we've been partners in ministry, and I want to thank you. He's considering them. He said, man, I, I consider you to be partners, you Philippians are partners in my ministry. In other words, they're working together for the sake of Jesus' story, for Jesus' influence on other people. And he's quite clearly saying, there's two parts of what we're doing in this partnership. I'm praying, you're helping. I'm praying and you're making certain that I can keep doing what I'm doing. So that's true of you and me. We pray together and then we work together. We work together in, 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 in light of our prayers for ways in which we can reach our community and some places around the world. And it's, it involves financing, obviously, and he's quite, it's quite clear that he loves this church. As, you, as a matter of fact, if you carry on in that passage of Scripture down by verse 8, he expresses this deep affection. 
I long for you, he says. I, I really want to just hang with you. I, I long to be with you with, with deep affection. And that's the, really my understanding of our relationship together, that we've done a lot of things together. We've prayed through a lot of things together. And there's this mutual admiration society, might be to put it, that we enjoy being with each other. And perhaps that's the starting point for us to review 2020 and then consider some of the ministry plans for the coming year. If you think about 2020, perhaps we could start this way, that what happened in 2020 should stay in 2020, though we know that's not the case, but it'd be nice if it did, right? Particularly when you think about COVID, how else could you describe COVID-19? If it was just in the past, it'd be great. And that's, 2020 had lots of things besides just COVID. Had a, we had a very contentious national election. We had stories and stories struggles with all sorts of social unrest and trauma. And as I think about 2020, that's a good word for me to describe 2020. Trauma. Lots of trauma. Because just like your household or the place where you worked, COVID-19 made 2020 anything but simple around here. Um, we had to change so many aspects of our ministry. We had to figure out how to do um, virtually everything online, and then with, we had to figure out how to have specialized personal contact projects that we could do with safety and with less volunteers than normal and so on. And, uh, for example, one of the things we did throughout the year was our family ministries department was making contact with their kids uh, throughout the year in various ways, and in December, our staff members delivered. Think about this. This was the project. We wanted to deliver happy birthday Jesus kits to 200 children in the life of our church, 200 elementary age kids. That's a lot of porches to go and drop, drop something off. So they did that. I mean, it was a days long project. And then in addition to that, they did something similar for uh, 75 of our teenagers. And the whole staff then was also throughout the year engaged in letter writing campaigns and phone trees to maintain contact with focused demographic groups. We started with those who were shut-ins and then with seniors. And then we did a big, I mean, we have, dozens upon dozens of people in our congregation who are involved in healthcare, And so we did some extra attention to them and took them some things. And then uh, we worked with teachers concerned about the way in which they were trying to teach kids and all they've got for interaction is a flat screen. Well, the whole church, if you will, has been engaged in these personal touch points taking place in... How do you touch people when you're not allowed to touch them? That's been the, that's been the challenge all year long. And that then add, was added to what were we going to do online. Prior to 2020, prior to COVID, we had um, already been for a number of years streaming worship services online. But when COVID came along, we dramatically changed our online outlook. We added more cameras. So in the room right now, there are, one, there are five cameras in the room right now. Um, we've had as many as six or seven and some projects and things like that. Um, and uh, we looked at how do we get better camera angles. Those who are here in the West realize there are cameras in your sight lines now versus at the back of the room. That's about to change, by the way. I'll tell you in a minute. The whole worship service was examined through this sort of focus. This sort of focus. How does this worship service translate online? Prior to COVID, we knew people were watching. But once COVID hit, we realized we had to make a shift. We had to go to a new online approach, if you will, where we say people were watching passively at home, 
How do we get them to be engaged when they are at home? And so the worship arts team and the tech teams led the charge on this. We'd start off with 17 weeks of worship services that were strictly online. I mean, so we know that we have anywhere from 2,000 to 2,500 people who are engaged in the life of our church on a regular basis. Um, we see them with, they're here all the time, if you will, at least once a month. And, and we knew that we'd, do you know what it's like to preach to none of those people, but just to a camera? That was a very interesting experience. Or how do you lead worship when your worshipers, you can't, the people who are worshiping with you, you can't even see them. For those 17 weeks, that was quite a dynamic with no one in the auditoriums. But the result of all that is that now thousands of people we have, because people have to sign in, after we can see their computer address, if you will, thousands of people worshiped with us online throughout the year. And here's something that's really cool that maybe you don't know about. So in the nursing homes around town, there are always church services during the week, and those church services had to shut down. And so we stepped into that void, if you will, and we let the nursing homes know, hey, we'll, we'll cut a DVD of our last week's worship service if you want to use it. We're now here, we've now got 24 nursing homes that have approached us and said, can we get a copy of your DVD and we can take it from room to room and people can watch in the privacy of their rooms or in groups of two or three. And as far as way down south from Decatur, Shelbyville, and people that, and so that there's people now, Pastor Tim is involved in this project every week. They're, they're burning those CDs and mailing them out around the community. It's really cool. So we've gone from thinking about just what's happening in our building or maybe at Lovington, but to this online presence. And as I mentioned, there's more to come on this. Uh, in the last few weeks, we've built new camera um, platforms. We've got some new camera equipment, so the cameras are going to move back to the back of the West Auditorium with, better, with longer lenses. And um, we've cut, we had to pull up the carpet and cut cement and uh, with jackhammers and everything and put in new conduit and everything. So in the next weeks ahead, you'll see more of that uh, online and obviously in this room as well. Why? Why are we doing that? Oh, because so many people from literally around the world now are accessing our church's ministry through our website and our other online venues. And they are interested in Jesus' story as his story moves through our lives and into the ministry that it brings to us as a congregation. In other words, we want to continue to serve them and to serve, uh, if you're online with us today, we want to know how to serve you to the best of our ability. And so we're, we're spending some resources to make that happen. Because we, I mean, this, the idea of serving is just, it comes naturally to us as a congregation. For example, when COVID came along, uh, there was concern for some of the kids over at Parsons School. 75% of the students at Parsons School across the street, they um, come from homes that have a, uh, an income that's below the poverty level. So that means that 75% of the students over there receive um, a breakfast and a lunch. And we were concerned, how are we going to manage that? What are, what's happening to them? Can we do something? And so very quietly, without a lot of hoopla, and we had to kind of be cautious in how we went about this, because we're concerned for, you know, safety and health and everything. But with some help from the right people across the community in terms of knowing how to get this done, do you know that volunteers from your church delivered 10,000 meals throughout the past year to the students of that school? That's a great praise the Lord. And yet, it's just kind of going on behind the scenes. There's some other things going on behind the scenes that you may not be aware of at Decatur Memorial Hospital and Crossing Healthcare. 
guests, you would say, well, what's that got to do with the church? Well, long story short, our congregation, and we've no other model of this around the country where, this is, where a church has this, but we have a, an actual contract with both those healthcare facilities to provide spiritual care to patients, families of patients, and staff. And so with that, we have a number of FCC staff whose offices are frankly in those buildings. And we direct what they do with, in consultation with the hospital, with Carson Healthcare. And because it's a medical setting, there's a lot of documentation with all the work they do, which is what you'd want, right? And um, we know how many people those chaplains have been used by God to be the tangible touch of Jesus in the lives of all those patients, family, and staff members. So fam patients, families of patients, and staff members. And we were so concerned about the staff members once COVID hit. I mean, because you heard all the, the um, very real uh, issues for, for healthcare workers. We actually shifted one of our, our um, chaplain's responsibilities from daytime to afternoons and evenings in well past midnight so he could have contact with staff that would normally not see our chaplains during the day. And the results have been absolutely dramatic. Our, they've had access to the COVID units, and sometimes with very, very sick COVID patients, we've had chaplains that have visited with the same COVID patient multiple times during the day for days on end, uh, until either they're out of the unit or sadly some of them have died. And I can tell you this, friends, that when we're able, we're not, we're not letting those people die alone. They are dying, if you will, with the touch of Jesus Christ through those chaplains engaged in their lives. And um, you know, it's been part of our ministry that's in many ways unseen, but I want you to see just a little bit of what's going on in that regard. In 2018, we had prayer points. With 20, we had more than 25,000 prayer points. In 2019, that increased to 39,000. And so we, we've kind of gone, okay, that's a significant amount. I mean, years gone by, we go, that's really cool. 39,000 different prayer moments with people in those two facilities. But... <laughs> Here's what, as a matter of fact, can, can I get you to do this? Can I get you to cross your arms or take a, a posture of, I'm going to think about this for just a minute. All right, if you're at home, come on, do this. Take, take a look. And, or maybe it's this. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I'm about to learn something that's going to make me think. Yeah, you are. In 2020, our chaplaincy team had 49,111 prayer points with people throughout the year. That's phenomenal. I mean, think about it this way. Six or seven years ago, we said we wanted to reach 10% of our community with the story of Jesus Christ. We weren't concerned, you know, if they were, were to come to First Christian Church, that'd be great, but mostly could we just reach to them. And we, we had this tremendous uh, logo, and we, some of you maybe got one of these in your, even have one of these in your home. This is where, what we said we were going to give people so that we could remember to pray. It, it was a marvelous goal, but even when we announced the goal, we knew it was going to be very, very awkward because how do you know if you've reached 10% of your community? We have, what, 100,000 people in our community? How do you know if you've actually touched the lives of 10,000 people? It's a, it's a, a standard that is probably tr tricky to do, if you will. We called it 10. And um, in the six or seven years since then, I've wondered how we would respond to that. But I know this. You have 49,000 times that you pray with people in a community in one year. 
I don't know where that figure is in that 10%. Praise the Lord. We were bold enough to say, let's reach into the lives of people, not worrying about the numbers, not worrying about whether or not they show up in our building, but let's be certain that we teach them or touch them with the story of Jesus. That's, uh, people are learning about God's grace through the work that your church does, and I want to thank you for that. One of my favorite moments of the year came as a result of some of those touch points, and that is we had some people get baptized, um, obviously in the building here, but also, also we did the lake baptism in August. It was a blast. Um, it was a cool moment. Well, actually, it wasn't cool. It was very hot, but it was a cool moment nonetheless, and we're going to repeat that again in 2021. But if you, you don't wait to get baptized till then. If you want to get baptized, can we, let me ask you this. How long can you hold your breath, and we can, can we try it out next week? All right? All right? Our ministry departments continue their work through our staff team, and we've all year long been saying, how many volunteers can we bring into this setting and remain, can, contain some, and if you will, maintain some safety? So that's always been a struggle to keep everybody healthy. Our cafe ministry flourished, even as we tried to finesse this idea of operating a coffee shop in the midst of a COVID restrictions. It's been a challenge all year long, but every time there's a move, we've, we've pivoted repeatedly throughout the year. Pastor Jonathan continues to lead our discipleship process of helping people become more devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I, all that we've done then, I think I need to say, it's all made possible through the work and, and influence of the Holy Spirit, and obviously, your dollars. Your generosity last year was phenomenal. We, I had anticipated when COVID hit and we had 17 weeks of not seeing people, man, we're going to feel it. We didn't. And I, in fact, you gave more in 2020 than you did in 2019. In 2020, we received $3.3 million compared to a smaller figure the year before. I want to thank you for your generosity and for the trust that you placed and continue to place in our leadership teams, those who are responsible to manage those funds with great care and precision. We managed your generosity so much that our excess funds at the year end were again used for debt reduction. You, perhaps you can recall that in um, 2016, we, we put a second floor in the kids' space area. We redid that completely. We, we um, set up the East Auditorium, and we'd had, we owed the most money we had ever owed, that I, well, ever that the church has owed. $2.6 million is what we owed in 2016. I've got some really good news for you today, friends, and that as a result of your strong giving, not just last year, but for the five years prior, we are now, the mortgage balance is less than $1 million, and I want to thank you for that. Again, just quietly making progress, though with huge amounts of money throughout the past few years. Thank you. Congratulations, and uh, thank you for all your gifts. I guess what I want you to hear is that Despite COVID and despite the challenges that we face throughout the year as a nation, this congregation's ministry has moved forward, and you guys have a, have a huge part to play in that. Thank you. Our work with Disciple Heritage Fellowship continues on. That's the group of churches across the nation that look to us, if you will, as a, a, a network of congregations. They look to us for the leadership and insight. I'm the executive director of that group. It's more than 70 churches. Uh, Rick Grace is out there. He's preaching this week in, in, in a DHF church that's interested in our ministry. And so it's, it's moving forward. You'll learn more about that in the weeks ahead. But 
in the midst of me thanking you for all of your support and thanking you for um, your willingness to support me and the rest of the staff and the leadership team and some of the crazy and wild-haired ideas that I bring to you from time to time and have done so over the last 27 years, I'm aware that, Wayne, fair enough, fair enough, get to the letter, get to the letter, some of you are saying, all right. So, um, if you got that letter this week, then you know that my time as the lead pastor of First Christian Church will soon come to a close. My cr crazy, wild-haired ideas uh, won't mess with you much longer, if you will. If you're unaware, the elder team and I have been working together for a long time about how and when my personal pastoral role at First Christian Church, my staff role, should come to an end. And we've put a date for my retirement from that position for 17 months from this weekend, the end of June of 2022. The elder team has also planned ahead. We've issued an official call to Brian Talty, asking Brian to step into the primary pastoral role beginning in July 22, and he has accepted that call gladly. And so here's how it's going to work. June 30th, 2022, at midnight, I'm done. At 12.01, he's responsible for any mess you make. <laughs> Perhaps it would be helpful if you knew some details as to how we got to this decision, because it, it will help you see why, why we're doing this now. Wayne, why are you retiring? You're, you know, what, what's with that about? Well, study, I, this has been in the back of my mind since before I came to Decatur. This is some knowledge I have that churches across the United States usually have a growth cycle and a life cycle, if you will, that lasts anywhere from 25 to 40 years. Here's how it goes. A group of people get together and maybe they're doing a Bible study in their living room or maybe somebody is sent into a new area of town particularly, but somehow or other a reason comes together. They're going to they're gonna gather together and they're going to start worshiping God and there's some uniqueness about them. It's the right time. It's the right moment. And the, the thing begins to flourish and they outgrow the living room so they move to someone's garage and then they say, look, we've now got 45 people. We can't fit in the garage. We've got kids. We've got to do something with our kids. So they say, let's go rent the local high school gym gymnasium and that'll give us a couple classrooms for kids and we'll set up chairs and we'll have a band in a box where you know all the PA comes out of a trailer every Sunday morning and they do that for a while and God continues to bless that and the uniqueness of that congregation hits it hits the right market if you will and and people come to know Christ and it begins to grow and as it grows, um, you get to 85, 90. Oh, we're going to hire a pastor. And then it gets larger and larger. And then we'll hire a youth pastor. And, and by the time they reach about 200 people, 250 people maybe, or even at the 80 point, they go, let's build a building. And so they build a building. And now it's 15 years in, it's 20 years in, and things are going along well. But as the process has moved along, uh, more and more people are coming, and that's what you want, but the original long-timers are starting to lose some of their influence. And that, nobody's upset about that at first, and you're glad to have new people come, and the ministry's successful, and, you know, but then somewhere along the way, that understanding of, hey, the, the people who just showed up have as much authority and as much responsibility and power, if you will, as the long-timers, somewhere along the line, usually about... 25 years in, there begins to be a new life of the church. What do we look like? And invariably, church after church begins to struggle. And some people leave 
And some of the long timers start saying, oh, if, we'd, if we're only back in the high school gym, we didn't have this debt to pay and we didn't have to pay the preacher. And we had, you know, when we just were dealing with 23 kids and, and they begin reminiscing. And then the, the people who are new to the, new to the church go, well, I wasn't around in those days and I'm tired of you talking about those days. And I promise you, friends, it happens time after time after time that we have a sister church in this community that closed in recent months. And that's their story. 40 years, and they started reminiscing about 10 years ago. They actually approached us and asked if we could help. And we said, you can't keep reminiscing. If you want to start and grow again, you have, to, you have to do something to start a new life cycle. You have to, if you will, um, start a new vision that incorporates new things. And this church at 186 years old has had those moments when a new life cycle has started. Our last new life cycle started in 1994, frankly. Uh, we're 27 years into that life cycle. It started when the church invited me to come and be the pastor here. From what I can figure out of the church's history, no one under 50 years of age had pastored the church for a long time. I was 34, almost 35 years old. It was a big risk, risk to hire me. And I remember one fellow saying to me, Wayne, we're taking a big risk. The guy who we thought we were going to hire was 53, 54 years of age, and you're not. This is going to be way different for us. So you're going to change us. We're inviting you to come change us. Please don't kill us in the process. And we've, by God's grace, we've pulled that off together. We've gone from a church of 100, 140 people to the size we are today and the ministry profile we have in the community. It's not about me. It's what we've done together. But I'm fully aware of this life cycle of churches. That if you get into that life cycle to the 30 year point and you're not planning for the future, you're all you're doing is frankly planning to die. And so that understanding has helped me to step into the conversation with my fellow elders. I need to set, I said, we need to set aside a time when I will step aside. It's in the best interest of this congre congregation that I begin the process of turning my leadership responsibilities to the next generation. Now, while everything is healthy, while everything is good, let's not be 10 years down the road from now when we start, if we are, there were struggles and then, man, Wayne's just too old now to, to, to deal with this. Let's do this now while we can. And so in the next few weeks, we'll spend some time examining um, the theology of leadership uh, in our worship times together. We'll seek the Bible's view of how do you step into new days and we are starting, if you will, the public process of this time of um, Brian becoming the new pastor. We've created a frequently asked question document, an FAQ document that uh, those of you in worship in either auditorium can get. It's on tables as you walk out the door. It's also available online for those who are joining us online right now. You'll be able to see that there. What I want you to understand is that we have intentionally planned and prayed through this decision for a very, very long time. In fact, I first met Brian and his wife, Jessica, in an international house of pancakes in Johnson City, Tennessee, in 2004, 17 years ago now. We were, um, as a church, we were looking for a new youth pastor, and long story, I was down there, and his name came up, and I went to have breakfast with them, and um, we hired him. We hired Brian. We imported the Taltys to Illinois, as you saw a few weeks ago when he was speaking. They were very young at the time. They're so old now, but there you go. They were very young. <laughs> I left that breakfast interview with a sneaking hunch, if you will, a suspicion, if you will, 
that we would be coming to this day at some point in the future where we'd be saying to Brian, you're the new guy. Uh, I suppose it's more than a hunch or a sneaking suspicion. It might have been the Holy Spirit. And then if everything went right, I, I remember talking to Leslie on the phone and saying, you know, I think we should hire this guy. And I wonder if he might be the person who replaces me at lead, as lead pastor at some point in the future. He'd be the right age. And besides which, he is so goofy. If you only knew. <laughs> and yet, so intensely interested to know how to do pastoral work. And for 17 years, we've done it together. Of course, I didn't say that to anyone at the time. That would have been inappropriate. But about 10 years ago, the elders began to challenge Brian with some new leadership responsibilities, watching and guiding him sometimes when he didn't even realize it. We changed his portfolio to adult discipleship. We asked him to lead the charge on a lot of different things, including capital campaigns, which from a pastoral point of view are very, very taxing and very challenging. I asked him to lead more and more staff settings and he stepped into that. And then 18 months ago, we intentionally and prayerfully put Brian through a series of interviews and conversations, including some with Jessica. And this was our intent and this is what we were shooting for. Could Brian Talty be the next lead pastor of First Christian Church at some point in the future? The answer was yes, we issued a call to Brian and said, Brian, at some point in the future, you're gonna be the guy, all things being equal, but there's no date for that yet. But then last January, the same elder team and I, along with members of the admin team, we began discussions about my potential retirement with that curve in mind. We set a date and then really about late April into May of last year, we finally told Brian, hey, um, this has all been going on be behind the scenes and uh, yeah, we issued a call to you, but you need to be ready. It's coming faster than you think, and you better get in the on-deck circle because you're about to get in the batter's box. Please know we've prayed and discussed with great intentionality. As a matter of fact, you want to know how intentional it is? This is our blueprint. This is what we've written. Uh, this is the map of where we're going. It's 49 pages long of where we're going in the next 17 months and thereafter. Throughout 2020, a transition team was working behind the scenes. We had prayer sessions here at the church. Uh, in the midst of COVID, since we couldn't actually get inside the house and we were concerned about safety, we actually sat out in the Talty's backyard, all spaced around. We had prayer with them there. We interviewed some churches from around the country of our size and similar profile, if you will, where they had long-term pastorates and asked, what model did you use as you went through a transition? Um, we studied books and materials and very prayerful throughout the whole thing. And our model of ministry coming out of all of that, it might be a little bit different than what you expected, but this is what we learned from all those discussions with other churches. Our size, our profile, long-term pastors. The model is that in the days ahead, Leslie and I will not leave Decatur or First Christian Church. You know what's gonna happen? I'm simply gonna sit down. I'm gonna sit down and leave my pastoral staff role. It's gonna be somebody else's. I'll gladly look to Brian for his Holy Spirit-inspired vision and leadership for our congregation. See, I'm aware of this, that when I arrived in, 1994, in 1994, this church wasn't made by Wayne Kent. I'm pastor number 44. 43 people, in this case, all men, led this church before I did. I stand on their shoulders. There'll be, there'll be Brian's role, 45, and probably should Jesus tarry more beyond that. Here's what I know. I've borrowed 
this pulpit and the various pulpits that we've had in this building and the building downtown. I have borrowed those pulpits. This pulpit is not mine. You've allowed me to use it for a couple of decades and then some. As a matter of fact, if you come up, sometimes I stand like this. I've worn off all the varnish along here. You have to varnish it again for the new guy, all right? I've used this for a couple of decades and then some. But in June of 22, in June of 22 you know what? I'm giving it back to you. I sit at a lead pastor's desk that is not mine. It belongs to you. This ministry, through Jesus Christ, belongs to you. Brian will have the same responsibilities that I've had for many years. He will steward the congregation's people and resources and prayers for the sake of Christ in our community around the globe. And so we're going to lead you through the coming months. You'll have lots of moments to learn how the Holy Spirit has led us to this change with some what I would consider absolute grace and tremendous power. We'll have moments when we can affirm this man and his family and be with him as they take on this new adventure. But if I could, I'd say, Paul the Apostle says it so clearly to me that I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm confident of this, that what God started, he who began a good work in you and in me is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We're not going to go like this, guys. We're here, and we're just going to start again. That's my heart. God is working in the life of this congregation. There's more days together with me in this pulpit and using this pulpit in the days yet. I consider it the joy of my working life to have borrowed this pulpit. And words don't fully express my appreciation for the trust that you've given in me to bring God's word to you and to lead this congregation but you're getting it back. So to close our time together today, I'm mindful you've got lots of questions. Get that FAQ document as you go out. I'll start to answer them. And if you've got more questions, you probably do. This is your church. Remember that the Kents and the Talties, the four of us, we serve at your pleasure as directed by the Holy Spirit. This is a service arrangement. So to seal this day's announcement, guys, I've asked Brian and Jess to join Leslie and me on the stage. We'll have many days of conversation yet, but we've already started the transition a number of months ago. But now, today, we start the public transition. And so um, I would invite you to pray with us for the power of God's anointing to be on this couple. And to that end, Les is going to pray for Jess, and then I'm going to pray for Brian. Les? Let's pray. Father, we come is the body of Christ, First Christian Church. And we pray for Jess. I thank you for this precious woman of God, your daughter. And I thank you that Jessica Talti is a Proverbs 31 woman, clothed with strength and dignity. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And she looks with joy to the days of the future. And Lord, I pray that you would bless their family, their precious flock of four children. I pray that you would bless their marriage and their work here. And so, Father, I, I would echo that text, that he who began a good work in Jessica will be faithful to complete it 
until the day of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for Brian, all of us in all the auditoriums and online, Lord. We've done life together for 17 years. You've prepared him for that role in the past of hanging out with me and doing ministry with me. And I'm quite convinced, God, you've prepared him for this new role. He now has an on-ramp of 17 months. Lord, I pray that you'd help us work together with honesty and integrity. And Lord, I pray that our congregation and community would support Brian and Jessica and their kids. Lord, I'm reminded of the story of Elisha and Elijah. An older guy stepping out of ministry, a young man coming in behind him, and Elisha wanted a double portion of the older man's abilities. God, I pray for a double portion of power and intellect, adventure, wisdom, and Holy Spirit intuitiveness. May all that rest on this man for your sake. In Christ's name, amen. Now, friends, there are going to be moments in the days ahead when you can affirm Brian's new role in the church. There'll be more to say that. He's ready. He's worked hard to prepare himself and his family. But for now, I invite you to stand together, if you would, please. And um, welcome, Brian, to the next 17 months of an on-ramp. Can you run as fast as me? I have a longer stride. So. Yes, you do. You, <laughs> you know, when you pass the baton, both runners have to be running the same speed, right? So that's what we have to figure out in the next 17 months. Can you congratulate him for that? All right. Cool. Join us again next week. We'll unpack a little bit more about some of my understanding of leadership and how it's made for generations. I look forward to having a a chat with you about that. But in the meanwhile, may the peace and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you and be part of your every moment, every breath that you have this week. Have a great week. God bless.